Welcome to A Closer Look, a podcast that explores the ways in which the world we live in and how we engage with it can impact our health, happiness, and well-being. Now, here's your host, Dr. Robin Pickering, Professor of Health Sciences at Whitworth University. Joining us today on A Closer Look, I am your host, Dr. Robin Pickering, Professor of Health Science. On this podcast, we will take a closer look at issues that impact women's health. We'll focus on inspiration, on education, empowerment, taking action to improve our health and our well being. On today's episode, we're going to explore ways in which our health is impacted by policy decisions, how we can improve our health, how we can improve our agency um, by engaging in policy. And even if we know nothing about policy and politics, even if we're afraid of that and and want to disengage and, and feel uncomfortable talking about those things, we're gonna talk today about how we can engage in ways that are health enhancing I am so excited to announce and introduce our guests today, um, who are both experts in health policy. And I want to talk a little bit about how I met them and what their path is, but I'm super excited. So Julie Peterson, I'll start with you. Um, Julie Peterson is the executive director at Foundation for Healthy Generations. She's received numerous awards she's been publicly recognized as an outstanding leader in public policy advocacy and legislative work by many partners and during her time at healthy generations she has successfully advocated with partners helped them to secure legislation and budget funds organized and mobilized statewide prevention grassroots efforts and has been involved in numerous state and federal level policy efforts. Julie is passionate about the impact on individuals, communities, and organizations, and the way in which um, public policy issues um, can be shaped through the use of effective advocacy skills. Julie, thank you so much for being here. And I'll say I've been a huge fan of Julie for years and have sort of followed her around. I first met Julie in Olympia. We were doing some work with um, Legislative Education Day, and we were talking about, I believe it was vaping. And I specifically remember you knowing all the people knowing the right people to talk to and very vividly remember i was wearing heels you were wearing heels and i was literally chasing after you the whole time because i've never seen anyone navigate marble floors as effectively as you did and as quickly as you did so i that was my first the first thing i remembered about you and then I saw you speak at a conference and I am just have become a super fan of your passion for health. And um, so I am so happy that you're here. Thank you for joining us, Julie. Um, I also want to introduce Jefferson Ketchell. 
and he serves as the executive director of the Washington State Public Health Association. He possesses a Master of Arts in Policy Studies from the University of Washington and is a registered sanitarian. You'll have to tell us what that means. <laughs> um, he's a graduate of the CDC's Environmental Public Health Leadership Institute and Harvard University's National Preparedness Leadership Initiative Executive Education Program. It's a mouthful. <laughs> He's worked in public health for over 28 years, and he was previously the administrator of the Snohomish and Grant County Health Districts. Jeff has served as the president of the Washington State Association of Local Public Health Officials and chair of the Washington State Board of Registered Sanitarians. Oh, I got my workout this morning. Thank you, Jeff. And I first met Jeff not that long ago. And since then, I have asked you to do so many things. Happy to do it. <laughs> he's come. He's been a Shark Tank judge on my class contest. He's been a speaker. And now today he's on the podcast. I am so tickled that you are willing to join us. Thank you, Jeff. For so being happy here to be today. here, Robin. <laughs> So I'm, I'm pleased to talk about health policy. I will admit that early in my career, I was so intimidated having these kinds of conversations because I started out as an aerobics instructor, as a personal trainer, and everything that I did, and even through getting my master's in exercise science, was all about working with individuals, motivation at the individual level, getting people to change their behaviors through just trying to inspire them. And to me, health was all about just getting individuals excited about their individual choices. And um, strangely enough, I saw this commercial and it was, it was when we were really pushing diet pills. It was kind of around mm. that time that, um, there was all these ads about changing your health through diet pills. And there was this commercial that was, it showed this woman rollerblading, I think. And it said, there's a gap between knowing what to do and doing it. And in my mind, even though I was a person with a master's degree in behavior change and all of these things, I always just assumed hey, people just aren't doing what they're supposed to do for their health because they don't know. And surely once they know how good exercise is or how bad smoking is or um, how much nutrition can change their lives, surely once they know, they'll just do it. And I saw that commercial and I just thought, that is it's so true that the gap between knowing what to do and actually doing it is so vast and then when i later learned about the social determinants of health about the role of health policy i thought oh my gosh that's that's the key here is is what's in that gap and then i just start to get really excited about what creates the gap between the knowing what to do and the doing it and since then i've just gotten more and more excited about how policy, how our environment, how all of these things 
really in many ways have a lot more to do with our health than things like motivation. I would love to hear your take on that. What, what got you excited about policy and its relation to health? What was your path to getting there? Maybe I'll start with you, Julie. Uh, thanks, Robin. And so that's a great question. And I have to thank my parents for getting me excited about policy. And uh, this might sound like a little strange of an upbringing, but my mom always liked having a round kitchen table. And in the corner, when we had meals, uh, especially dinner, the TV set was on and we first watched local news, then national news. And we talked about what was going on in the world. And then when uh, growing up, that's when we still had the old voting booths. And as a child, uh, we always talked about who we were going to vote for as a family. And so election day, uh, first, uh, my mom would take us all after school and we'd all get to go into the election booth together, put our hands on the lever, pull the lever, push the curtain. And then my mom would let us pull levers to vote for our, and fortunately at that time it was all our guys. And so then we get to do that and then, you know, pull the lever. And my dad worked for the local municipal belt line. So we'd wait for my poor dad to get home cold you know, he hadn't had dinner, we'd all wait for dad and then jump in the station wagon and he'd drive us like, thank God, five blocks away. And then we'd repeat the, the process, right? Push mm. the lever, then pull the lever. So voting became really part of what was expected in my family. Um, and then the really big, exciting thing happened. A longtime friend of the family, uh, a woman, Kathy Purcells, um, Stipic, uh, ran for election uh, for the state legislature. And I actually, you know, this was the time where you could go out as a kid in a neighborhood with literature. And I didn't realize our um, district was so democratic, it, you know, that I wasn't going to get any pushback. And of course, people were polite. So I actually went doorbelling. Um, and people <laughs> were polite. And of course, you know, it was the neighborhood ruled by the mother network. So everybody knew where I was a few blocks away. <laughs> people were calling Rosie right. she's down here, Rosie, she's over here. Um, but she, uh, Kathy won and, uh, we just got to celebrate her 90th birthday this oh, summer, that's fantastic. earlier this summer, but, uh, she was in the state legislature and then went on to run for the County council. And then, um, she was also our local auditor. So you can see, I really got to see that women can make a difference and she was making difference in education policy is where it started. So I, and then the connections around health because her son had a, a a disability. So that, and I began to see this connections with health. Oh, so even as a kid, you're going door to door talking. I can, I can picture that happening. That's fantastic. Jeff, what about you? So I, I had a similar story with my, my dad taking me down to the polling station to vote and he would let me poke, poke the holes and, and our next door neighbor was running for precinct uh, chair. And so I remember voting poking the hole for my for a neighbor but uh registered sanitarian is is an environmental health credential and so uh just like you are a registered nurse an rn if you want to be a nurse or a pe professional engineer if you want to be an engineer if you want to work in the field of environmental health rs is the standard and that mm -hmm. environmental health is anything in the environment that can impact human health so i got my start as a restaurant inspector and then i did septic systems and drinking water wells and 
And I eventually ended up in, in hazardous waste. Uh, this is why I was working in Seattle. And uh, I got into the field of chemical policy and what a massive failure chemical policy was in the United States. And so chemical policy dictated, you know, how much you knew about the chemicals you were putting on your body, like this hand sanitizer or your lotions or your personal care products, the things you took care of your babies with, uh, mm -hmm. to all the things, to all the chemicals that went into our products that we use, our cars, our houses, uh, the air that we breathe, the, you know, that new car smell, and just how little we knew about the effect of those chemicals on your health because we had bad policy in the United States. And, and so I started, I, and I knew I was going to go get a master's degree. I knew I needed to, to needed more schooling for where I wanted to go career wise. And the university of Washington had this master's <laughs> in policy and I loved it. It was so much fun. And, um, it, it really launched a lot of, a lot of our colleagues in public health have masters in public health. And that's sort of the standard in, in the public health world. But uh, I like, I like that. I went a little bit of a different direction and, uh, and did understood policy and, um, Anyway, one thing that's really interesting to me that both of you grew up having such open conversations about policy and how it impacts health and impacts all these different. I was definitely raised in a very different environment where um, that was not polite conversation. That talking about policy, talking about politics, was was not appropriate to talk about in 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 public company. And um, so I, I really wasn't exposed to it until much later in life. And I think that a lot of people maybe reside in that boat where I think, especially now, there's a lot of heated discussions around a lot of policy issues, including those that pertain to health, vaccination, mm -hmm. and, and even chemicals and, and the things that we were talking about there. But I think a lot of people are almost afraid to engage in those conversations because they can be polarizing. And one of the things that I talk to my students is about uh, students about instead of avoiding conversations about policy, mm -hmm. maybe we can get better at um, those conversations. So I would love to pick your brain in this conversation about how to do that. But um, I know, Julie, when we spoke before, you had mentioned the role of self agency mm. and how policy plays a role you know here in this podcast we talk about how we can advocate for our own health how we can be as healthy as as possible through empowerment through education all that thing um, all of those things but i i think self agency is such an important part of that from an individual level but also from a broader level can you talk a little bit about that I'd be, I'd be delighted to. I have a lot of um, friends and other folks that I've been talking to, especially the last few months, given what, what's happened nationally. Uh, people often feel overwhelmed by, by the news. What can I do? And so what I try to remind people about what health is all about is know your numbers. You know, so with our physical health, we're always reminded to know, you know, your what's your blood pressure, what's your cholesterol, what's your heart rate. And just like that, I remind people, well, what what are your political numbers? And so by that, I mean, starting out, first of all, are you registered to vote? And that's very easy to do. We're here in Washington state. So you have until October 31st, if you want to do online or mail voting to register to vote, or you can actually 
go to the county auditor's office, your local county auditor, until November 8th, register to vote and vote the same day, right? So if you're not registered to vote, that you can you can do, right? So that's the first thing. The next thing to do is figure out where, which legislative district am I in? Who are the people that are running? Who, who are my city council, county council members? And then who's my member of what congressional district am I in? All of that you'll learn when you register to vote. So those are your numbers and they're all easy to do. And when you get your voter registration card, that's all gonna be on there. So from there, once you get your ballot, um, and again, the, the voter's pamphlet is really very informative. It looks intimidating. There's a lot of information in it. But again, once you know the numbers, then you know who you're voting for. And those statements are very informative. Some people that read the voter's pamphlet said, I can't believe those people are really running. Well, they put those statements in for a lot of reasons. Those aren't jokes, but you can also look at who is running, who endorses them. And um, sometimes people will say, well, then how do you, you know, it's intimidating to make these decisions. I, I get together with different friends. My sister and I make it regularly a time where we sit together. We do our ballot together. I have a group of friends. We do ballots together. So knowledge is power. It takes away the fear. And then that becomes self-agency. And you can do that in little bits, right? You don't have to you know, take a big bite of the whole apple. You can do it in three minutes, five minutes, small. All of that can be done in small chunks and it doesn't have to be overwhelming. Okay, question for either of you. Let's say I'm listening to this podcast right now. I I have, have really kind of avoided politics or I feel like I'm not a political person. I maybe haven't actually voted before, but now I kind of feel self-conscious about that and I... I don't even know what questions to ask, or I don't even know necessarily how would voting for X person over Y person, how would that impact me and my health? Can, can you talk a little bit about how does policy impact me and what do I even need to know and, and look for if I get this, if I get this voter's book and it tells me all this stuff about these people, what do I look for? What what matters? How do I know? So I'll, I'll kick it off here. But if, if health is what you're interested in, so just to take a look back in time, in the 20th century, life expectancy in the United States in 1900 was about 48 years. At the end of the 20th century, it was over 76. So over the course of the 20th century, life expectancy in America increased by almost 30 years for the average American. So why is that? Well, we can talk about the advancements in healthcare and the access to healthcare and that played a role, but really public health policy had the biggest impact and people were elected into office that put this policy into place. And you mm -hmm. think, well, what kind of policy? Well, safe food and water. You know, you have this reasonable expectation that when you drink water out of your tap or you eat a meal you bought at the grocery store, it's going to not make you sick. Or what about uh, smoking? and indoor air quality laws where it used to be common for people to smoke in their offices uh, and that's not allowed anymore. You think about uh, motor vehicles and workplace safety, um, uh, the, the advent of the seatbelt and airbags and design standards for cars or, or uh, the fact you have to wear a hard hat 
or the things that you're exposed to at work are, are limited. And so all, all these things came from policy and people were elected into office that passed these laws at the federal, state, and even local level that really increased life expectancy in the US. So it's a, it's a huge impact. So I could say, let's say I'm a person who is on Medicare or on Medicaid. Um, that's something at a federal level, well, federal and state level, that um, may mean something to me as a person. Maybe I, I, I care about you know pharmaceuticals and, and if that stuff is gonna be covered. But one of the things that I found really interesting, and Julie, you mentioned this, is that a lot of our health impacts come from state and city level decisions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think of how often here in Spokane, how often I use the Centennial Trail and how, how much that contributes to my personal health. And in a lot of really direct and indirect ways, the Centennial Trail contributes to my health. And there's a lot of policy decisions that go into creating spaces like that. Can, can you talk a little bit Julie, about what you mentioned about how those more local and statewide decisions impact our health in really direct and indirect ways. Sure, and I'd be delighted to. So I'm someone that sees health in all policies, and I think local budgets, uh, they're, also a, they're also policy, right? So we put our values in budgets. And I, I'll give you a little example that was interesting. We all go usually to get twice a year, get dental cleanings. And I love it um, during the legislative session. My dental hygienist always wants to ask questions. And it's, of course, it's when all the instruments are in your mouth <laughs> about what you're doing. And um, so I, she wanted to know, and I was trying to explain to her because it was legislative session and what I was trying to do. And um, she said, wow, that sounds like taxes. Those people are always about taxes and I don't get anything for my taxes. And so I had to have her take those instruments out of my mouth. And I said, really, you don't get anything for your taxes. So, so let, let's talk about that for a minute. So I said, what did you and your family do last night? And she said, well, you know, we went to the library, we got some books, there's some great DVDs. We're watching a series on national parks. Um, I said, well, that we just passed a bond measure to support the libraries and those are property taxes. So she was quiet. I go, it sounds like you got benefit, right? You didn't get charged for that, right? Free library card, just just asking. Yeah, it was all free. Okay, just che just checking about that. So then what did you do when you got up this morning? And she said, well, you know, made coffee. And I said, so I assume you, you know, turned on the water. And she said, yeah. And I go, were you worried about that water? She goes, no, we have a great water. It tastes great. It's yeah. So again, um, when you turn that water on, obviously you pay for it, but we have a great local health department and that's because it's clean water. We have a great water system. Uh, taxes support that. So she's now kind of getting a little suspicious every time I started to ask a question. So I said, <laughs> then you drove to work. Um, did the stoplights work? Were the roads? I, I go, I know we've had a little bit of a pothole issue. It's been freezing, you know, unfreezing. Yeah, but I, I said, really, all the roads were connected. You came from outside into the city. It, you know, no, the roads were great. Stoplights worked, all of that was good. Okay, again, 
taxes. Your, where are your kids today? Well, they're at school. Okay, school. So let's talk about school. Um, or yeah, oh, we love our school. Great teachers. Kids are doing great. Uh huh. Bond issue. State taxes. Again, so by the time we got through most of that, you know, again, talking about health and again, all of that relates to their, her family's health. Education is a huge role in health. So I don't want to belabor it, but I think people are, you know, listening because they're very um, intelligent folks get the connection and especially with health. So that, I mean, that's what I would say. And it's important to know who are you voting for that again you know are making those investments yeah and i'll just i'll just add to that i mean money is always going to be spent on things like like roads and and other infrastructure but how how that money is spent smartly how is the healthy choice made the easy choice and so you know it, if, if you're going to build a road and a sidewalk and things like that are you making it easier for somebody to say walk or bike to the store or the post office or where they need to go versus the necessity to have to get in a car and drive there. So I was on a, I was, I won't say where, but I was on a trip in another state. And for me to get anywhere in that, in that community, I had to rent a car and drive around because it was impossible to walk anywhere because of, of freeways, because of lack of sidewalks, because it just wasn't safe to do so. And so looking around your community has, has have the decision makers allocated that money in a way that made it easy for me to be healthy. Ooh, and I love this about um, a lot of the public health messaging as of late. And you just mentioned it is the healthy choice, the easy choice. And there are so many ways in which that plays out every day. Are there healthy stores around us or is it all fast food? Are there safe ways that are lit that are separate from where the cars are that we can walk to places are there places to safely park a bike i think there's so many things that we can do with our infrastructure with our environments that encourage us to do in an easy way the healthy choice even things like staircases that are attractive and well lit Mm -hmm. um, will encourage people to use the stairs instead of the elevator. So again, I talked about how so much of my career was about like, how do I motivate people to exercise? How do I motivate people to eat healthy? But the, the drive-throughs and, and the quantity of fast food restaurants really play a role. If you, every day you're driving past fast food and you have to work two jobs, it's really easy to go through a drive-through. And I love this kind of, instead of decision-making, instead of motivating people to do extra, how do we create spaces that make it really easy to be healthy? And I think some communities do a great job with, with creating safe places to walk, creating even neighborhoods where you can know your neighbors, the nice wide sidewalks so you can go on walks and talk to people um, but I, I have found that really exciting and thinking about, okay, how do we make policy decisions that make it easy for the healthy choices to be available to everyone? And um, again, that's been one of those things that fits in that gap between the knowing what to do and the doing it, and then making it really easy to do the healthy thing. 
and I think Julie, you outlined so many good examples. One of the things I was just looking through this and it was a recent report. So April 1st, 2022, and it came from um, the, let's see, the assistant secretary of the planning and evaluation office of health policy. And the document was called addressing social determinants of health examples of successful evidence-based strategies and it talked about and this is a direct quote here from that report and it says um, studies estimate that clinical care impacts only 20 percent of county level variation in health outcomes so we talk a lot about you know the availability of health care and our our healthy decisions and our, our exercise, our eating, all of that stuff. Actually, I think that's probably high. It's, it's a high <laughs> estimate. And it goes on to say, while social determinants of health, so things concerning where we live, where we work, um, mm -hmm. affect as much as 50%. Mm -hmm. um, Agreed. So within the social determinants of health, socioeconomic factors like poverty, employment, education have the largest impact on health outcomes so this idea that half of our health is really determined by some of those social factors living in poverty or our, our employment um, conditions our education and those things are so closely linked to policy um, but i think it's really interesting that we seem to focus so much on individual health and not like we can really collectively make some big decisions, some, some policy decisions that impact our health in bigger ways. So a number of years ago in Washington state, the, there was a citizens, citizens initiative to uh, prohibit smoking in bars and restaurants. Mm -hmm. And it was very controversial uh, and it passed. And, and to look at the public health impacts of that citizens mm -hmm. initiative, uh, it's called smoking in public places. So if you were a bartender and you smoked and you wanted to quit smoking, how hard would it be for you to quit smoking, knowing you're sitting behind this bar every day, slinging drinks, watching people drink and smoke in front of you? Um, and that's the environment that you're in. You could have the most powerful willpower in the world, and it's still going to be near impossible for you to quit smoking. Now, all of a sudden, you're in the smoke-free environment, and you don't have to watch people smoke in front of you all day while you're doing your job. Your, your, your mission, your, your vision of quitting smoking just got a little bit easier. And so the environments that we're in, and a lot of those environments are set by policy, and, mm -hmm. and uh, in this case, it was a citizen, citizen's initiative, but uh, has huge impacts on your health. So I, can, I do agree with that part of that article. Well, and mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting when we talk, um, so behavior change theory, when we look at what we call health behavior, um, now I'm going to blank on what it's called, health behavior theory? No, something like that. <laughs> Um, it talks about all of these things that kind of have to happen for us to change a health behavior. Mm -hmm. And part of that has to do with, do I believe I'm personally vulnerable? How bad is the potential impact? So if, if I do smoke, how, how bad is the thing going to be that results from the smoking? But part of it has to do too with with the environment how easy is it for me to have access to something so if you grow up in a household where your parents both smoke it's not going to necessarily be 100 percent sure that you are going to be a smoker but it sure makes it a lot easier to smoke because your environment 
um, you have easy access to it. And so I think it's important that we don't discount that we have personal agency over our choices. We are able to think for ourselves and, and be active, play an active role, um, but our environment matters. It makes a difference and it is certainly part of the equation. Well, and is that also the norm? I mean, I, I think that's what really makes it difficult. And we're talking about self-agency, but you're also, if you're a child or you're a teen and, and you know, what are we communicating, you know, that our community norms are? What, what are we communicating that the home norm is? And when you're looking at the, I think it was either the Healthy Youth Survey or the COVID Student Survey, what was concerning to me, the recent data we just saw is that we we saw a tick up on the question, it's okay to drink at home with my parents. Um, so, you know, again, when we're looking at the these norming behaviors that we're communicating, um, I don't want that to be the easy choice, but yeah. we want that we want the healthy choices to be the easy choice. So Ooh, and I'm I'm so glad that you brought up this idea of no norming or social norming or um, to those maybe that aren't familiar with that. It's this idea that the things that you think are normal, the behaviors that you think are are actively practiced as as sort of normalized behavior are going to be more likely uh, to be engaged in because it feels like what people are doing. And um, and I am not going to remember the exact numbers, but since we were talking about smoking, I, I talk to students about this, that if you ask someone who smokes, what do you think the portion of the population is that are smokers? Oftentimes they'll say a really high number, like, oh, 75%, 70% of adults maybe smoke. And then you ask a non-smoker that same question, you often will see a big difference in, you know, and really it's around 17% or so of the US population adults smoke. Um, but people like to be part of the norm. Mm -hmm. So if you think that a lot of people engage in this behavior, if you think a lot of people don't get vaccinated, if you think a lot of people aren't exercising regularly, then it makes you feel more comfortable to be part of, well, I'm just kind of doing what everybody else is doing. So I know that in public health, one of the things that we do to influence behaviors is to let people know accurate social norms. You know, this is this is what 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 people are actually doing. And I think that's a big um, and it's an important point that if we can normalize and let people know that, no, actually, most people do X or most people, most people are non-smokers. Most people engage in these behaviors that it makes it easier for folks to be part of that group. But I think we can use that, um, that rationale in a lot of different contexts. Most people got vaccinated um, for COVID. Most people um, engage in these health enhancing behaviors. And I think a lot of times we've sort of gotten in this, especially in media where we want to present both sides and and sort of act like those are equal perspectives. But I think that is is really problematic in a lot of different ways. Yeah, that reminds me of, uh, we've made this great advances in tobacco and smoking and chewing, and then along came vaping. 
And so mm -hmm. like vaping started to create this new norm around nicotine use, where uh, for one thing, for a long time, it was it was legal to vape inside the bars and restaurants where we had the, the we had banned smoking. And so uh, locals and state had to mobilize quickly to say, well, um, we don't know what's in that in these aerosols. We don't uh, don't necessarily think it's a good idea to be breathing them secondhand, but also it was a renorming of the behavior, meaning mm -hmm. um, you know, families walking down the street would see, you know, people vaping in the restaurant or vaping at the park and think, oh, this is what normal people do on a normal Saturday afternoon. And uh, and then we saw this huge uptick in vaping and it was especially appealing to youth. And of course, we now know that it was marketed to youth. Um, and so public health said, OK, here's our here's our new thing that we got to work on um, because we don't want vaping to become the norm like uh, cigarettes were 50 years ago. And it's interesting because cigarette smoking and sort of the the cessation of that has been considered to be one of those great public health achievements that has extended life like you were talking about we're yeah. living you know 20 years longer 30 years longer whatever it was and a big part of that is recognizing tobacco as a health hazard and so we went from you know about 45 percent of the adult population smoking to now about 17 ish percent mm -hmm. And that's this major victory, but now we've got this whole new sort of group of people vaping. You know, we see a lot of legalizing of cannabis across the nation, and that's kind of creating potentially this 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 new public health challenge. And um, I think we've learned a lot of lessons from that, uh, from recognizing tobacco as a health hazard. Now, how do we kind of apply that right. to some of the things that we're seeing? Um, so you mentioned that, that we live a lot longer now, that um, our policies shape some of those public health um, sort of things that have made us live longer, that we continue to really need to focus on policy to stay healthy, to get healthy. Um, can you talk a little bit about, both of you, what do we need to know? What does the average person need to be focusing on now? If I'm if I'm this person that okay, I'm I'm excited now. I'm coming out of this, the pandemic really with this renewed energy about being healthy. Maybe I'm maybe I'm cutting back on my drinking. Maybe I'm working on losing some weight. Maybe I really um, saw that health is a fragile thing, and now I'm really excited. What policies should I be caring about? What should I be watching? What matters? for me and my family. So I would I always like to say you're only as healthy as your neighbor. Mm -hmm. And the thing is the same thing that's going to make your neighbor ill or injured um, is the same things that are going to do the same to you and your family. So just because something is not necessarily happening to your family, it could because maybe your neighborhood or your community, it's difficult to get exercise or it's difficult to get healthy foods or there's uh, you don't have access to good health care or, um, you know, there's there's lots of smoking or, or whatever it might be. Um, and so think the, the only thing about what's going to impact your family, but what's impacting my community and who am I going to vote for? And who are those folks in elections who are going to uh, prioritize health for my entire community? 
Okay, so what would that look like? So without saying specific candidates <laughs> <laughs> or, or specific parties, yes. But if I really wanted to to kind of have this evidence based approach to how does policy trickle down to health outcomes? What specific things are happening in the legislature right now that I should have my eye on? Well, well, a couple of things that I'd be looking ahead towards is what's important to my community. So one of the things I'm excited about uh, is that the legislature's forming a cancer caucus where they're going to be looking at is all issues related to cancer. And a caucus, um, it quite simply is a group of legislators that work together and it doesn't matter party affiliation, right? I think we can all agree cancer doesn't it's a disease that it doesn't care what party you are. It doesn't care how much money you make. It It's an equal opportunity disease, unfortunately. So I'm really encouraged about that. And I'm, I'll be interested to see what um, issues um, they prioritize. And so that's something that's just uh, starting um, this summer. They had a summit July 14th and started to kick um, that off. I, I think what I would be... Um, doing, I just, in fact, had this conversation with a friend on Sunday who was grappling with these issues. And what I encouraged her about is she's on a local neighborhood Facebook group. Candidates are having forums on Facebook. If you're not comfortable going in person, I might be asking questions about, um, so what is your vision uh, for a healthy community um what uh, what kinds of ways do you see um helping us get you know better access whatever the issues are for your neighborhood you know better parks um better uh, the legislature just passed a big transportation package so some of that is still rolling out but I, I'd be asking, so if there are things not completed in your neighborhood, you know, do you have good parks? Um, what about uh, grocery stores? Uh, I'd be asking about all of those questions of local city, city council, county council, and legislative candidates. And now that the primaries are over, um, they'll continue to have um, open meetings. They do coffees. Um, they do Facebook Oh, you know, town halls, and, you know, they're interested in having those conversations. They want to know what's on the minds of voters. They're also out doorbelling. And so when they knock on your door, I'd open the door. You can ask them to be socially distanced and, and then talk to them about, you know, those kinds of issues. You know, one of the things that I so appreciate, I don't even know if I've told you this, um, one of the things that I so appreciate about you is um, your work with Healthy Gen you put out a website and a a regular email that says here's the bills to watch here yeah. is here's what's going on in policy and the ways in which it impacts health and here from a public health lens is is what we're supporting as a as an agency and correct me if any of that is 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 misstated but I have my students, my health policy students, sign up for that so that we can just kind of really watch what's happening in the legislature, what some of those conversations are, and really direct ways in which that can impact health. So if someone wanted to get that information, how would they do that? 
So you could go to our website, which is healthygen.org, healthygen.org, and you can go to the policy page and sign up for health policy news. And the, the issues that we're supporting, we actually support a statewide coalition called the Prevention Alliance. And the Prevention Alliance is a list of, it's a group of organizations, and our agenda is the, if you will, the social determinants and where they intersect uh, with primary prevention. And that, you know, it's quite, quite simple. So we have a broad um, agenda uh, across the social determinants of health, and it goes all the way from behavioral health to uh, gun violence prevention. Uh, we look at parks issues, uh, transportation, you know, we had a 48 page report that's on our website that talks about all, all of our successes across bills and budget. So uh, yeah, I'm very proud of the work um, we do and and a big part of that is supporting public health funding also. So. And it's so great too, because, and I know probably a lot of folks listening are, are maybe just not haven't engaged in public policy and maybe don't know where to start. And I can, um, you, you gave a lot of really good information about how do I find what district I'm in? How do I register to vote? If I haven't been engaged in that before, how can I do it now? Especially knowing that kind of half of our health status, status is really determined by these social determinants of health that can be um, really impacted with policy. And if I wanted to get engaged in that, and that newsletter is really helpful, I think, especially for people who don't have a background at all. If they just want to get started mm -hmm. learning about it and learn about how, how do I even know who to vote for or know what to, to be interested in as, as it relates to health. So that's a really great tool. So I always like to end. So we've talked about, you know, how, what got you interested in, in public policy and how it connects to health. We've talked about how we can actually improve our self-agency through getting involved in policy. We've talked about, you know, why should I care? Where do my taxes even go? How does that even impact me? And sort of that connection with our health outcomes in ways that don't necessarily involve motivation. Um, you talked a little about the cancer caucus and how we can learn more about those connections with cancer health. But I like to close every episode with, okay, I am, I am committed to decrease the amount of misinformation about health that exists in the world. Disinformation, misinformation, I'm committed. And I'm so excited about having these experts on. And so my question that I've ended with each time is what do you need to clear up? So what's sort of that thorn in your side in your field that, you know, people, there's, there's rumors or there's misinformation, disinformation, what do you want to clear up to folks that are listening today? Jeff, maybe I'll start with you. <laughs> I talked about vaping earlier. Uh, there are no regulations regards to what manufacturers put in the juice that people vape. And so if you think there's some cloaked uh, government agency that's making sure that the stuff's going into those liquids that you're inhaling into your lungs is somehow regulated or evaluated or studied, not true. Um, you sort of go with God uh, on, on when you vape. And so um, uh, the FDA has been very slow to uh, regulate these types of things. And um, 
I would say that, that that's one of the pieces of misinformation that I always like to get out there. Uh, whether you're talking about yourself or your a loved one or 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 a child, um, you it's really not just water vapor that you're inhaling into your lungs. Oh man, that's such a good one. I'm so glad you chose that. I have heard from so many people, vaping is a safe alternative to smoking or vaping helped such and such quit or um, it's only water vapor and at least you don't have the secondhand smoke. So it's a safe alternative. And if it's purchased on its shelf, it must be safe. I think we have this idea that, you know, uh, our country just wraps its loving arms around us all the time and makes sure that only safe things are available. And I'm so glad you mentioned that. That's a whole nother show. <laughs> that is a whole nother show. Absolutely. I, yeah. And the only thing I would add is ditto to that. And that it also includes nicotine, a lot of nicotine. So, which is still unknown addictive. amount. Yeah. Unknown amount, which is still very addictive. Um, I think the one I would add that's always um, frustrating to me is my vote doesn't matter my vote doesn't count. Uh, and I'm here to tell you votes matter uh, very much. And we're just coming off um, some very close, uh, the primary was uh, last week, and we're still having vote counts, uh, because that's how much votes matter. So I encourage people to vote. Your vote matters every time um oftentimes people say well i vote one way and my spouse votes another so it cancels each other out but remember you're not the only two households voting you're only not two people voting right there's a lot of people voting and your vote matters oh such a great point i um i'm so excited that you were both able to join today i think that part of creating a healthy society is figuring out all the ways in which we can have agency all the ways in which we can advocate for our health kind of uh, dispelling this myth that everything is is about motivation but really the, the environments that we create really through public policy can have make such a difference for our community health our personal health our family health so uh, thank you for being part of that solution today and for joining us. Um, I look forward to um, seeing you all soon and continuing our conversations and empowering us all to make healthy choices. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to A Closer Look. Visit us on social media and wherever you go to find your podcasts. Be sure to join us next time as Dr. Robin Pickering and her guests take A Closer Look.